the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts along with our special in-studio guest today. He is the president of Mission India, Dave Stravers. Dave, just before the break, you made reference to some of the social turmoil that goes on in India. We've heard the stories about, for example, abuse against women, things of this sort. Uh, You talked too briefly about some of the the social friction, the economic friction, rather, within the country. What about the religious friction? Um, You make reference to the fact that not only is India one of the most populous Hindu nations, but also in the top perhaps five countries for a Muslim population. How much friction do we see taking place between those two religions along the continent? Yeah, some people claim that India is the top Muslim nation in the world with 175 million Muslims uh, rivaling Indonesia and Pakistan. So India has an incredibly huge Muslim population. That is, the Muslim-Hindu relations are the number one overriding political concern in India. And the new elections, the national elections that are coming up next May, uh, this is the one issue that is going to be at the top of everyone's mind. Uh, the the uh, the opposition leader Narendra Modi for the India Nationalist Party called the BJP is very infamous for being a Muslim hater, uh, someone who believes that India is only for Hindus, and uh, the best thing that could happen is if all the Muslims would go to Pakistan and uh, all the Christians would go somewhere else. Uh, that's the official political stance of the BJP party, and this party could could possibly win that election. Uh, there's been a tremendous uh, overriding charges of corruption against the, the party in control, the Congress party, the secular party, and the economy has not been doing that well in the last uh, year or two, and there have been other other problems that have caused some people to say the BJP could win this election. So Muslim-Hindu relations become very violent, people are killed, and it wouldn't surprise anyone to see hundreds or thousands of people killed on both sides of this conflict. If that change takes place or this friction continues leading up to the elections next spring, uh, into that powder keg, how how challenging does it make Christian ministry then? Christians uh, will be victimized by either side, but especially by the Hindu nationalists. Uh, Christians are very worried about the BJP prospects. Uh, what will happen is uh, this: the Hindu nationalist, uh, we might say their culture, their teachings will give encouragement to all of the little anti-Christian groups that exist all over the country that would like to stop the growth of the church, that would like to intimidate workers and evangelists and converts. Five of the states of India already have anti-conversion laws, and uh, this could be a tremendous impetus for other states to implement anti-conversion laws that would would tend to put up obstacles to uh, either Hindus or Muslims receiving Christ. We, of course, historically have seen um, state-sponsored obstacles in other parts of the world, and yet in spite of all of that, the gospel continues to flourish. Do you see enough momentum in the growth of the church today at 
the grassroots level that in spite of maybe organized opposition up to and including institutionalized or government-sanctioned opposition, is there any way to stop that train from rolling down the tracks? Craig, nothing can stop that train. (laughs) I'm happy to tell you uh, the main reason why we have persecution of believers in India today is the extremely fast growth of the church and the reception to the gospel on the part of the general population. It's, it's the minority, the political power brokers, the Hindu extremists, the religious establishment in, in the Hinduism. These are the people that are afraid of what's happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're afraid because they see the openness now in the average uh, India household in the villages that once were so uh, hardened against any kind of uh, Christian work and now no longer are against it. So this is going to continue, and I don't think that uh, laws are are going to stop this train from going. There's also a degree of pretty significant measurable transformation that you were mentioning to me off the air. For example, in the components of outreach of what Mission India does, uh, going in and addressing felt leads in an area, for example, such as literacy. Um, is having a significant impact. And I would imagine anyone that comes into that environment that is able to produce significant, measurable transformation is is clearly not only going to gain some attention, but also set down some pretty solid roots. Yeah, Mission India has an adult literacy program that can bring a totally illiterate person to fifth grade uh, reading and writing and arithmetic level in one year. <laughs> we and need to get you stateside. Yeah. We need to set up a couple of programs. It's, it's an That's amazing phenomenal. program. It works so well. It works well because the volunteer teachers come from local churches and they love the people they're working with, and we have a really good uh, system of accountability and reporting. And this program is in such high demand, we c- we just simply cannot respond to all of the of the requests we get from villages and communities who want this program. there In any given year, there are three or four times as many requests for the program as we are able to respond to. There's something unique, too, in what you're doing in terms of the presence of Mission India in country, and that is that there is a very strong partnership with the local church. I mean, this is, in fact, largely driven by nationals, is it not? Yes, we have no expatriates living in India. It's all national run, and in the country, it's entire 100% collaborative. So we're not planning Mission India churches or winning Mission India converts. We're helping local churches all over the country in every state uh, from literally more than a thousand different groups of people that we help with their ministries. Do you find that national cooperation creates stronger, healthier than local growth, more sustainable growth? Uh, There are so many little organizations in India who God has called to raised up to work in a little area, but they have no no backing, they have no contacts outside their region or maybe even outside their city, and all they need is a little bit of help, some training, some scriptures, some materials, uh, an organized program that, that works. And so this kind of cooperation is extremely powerful when you have uh, different groups coming together, bringing their skills and combining them to reach a local village or a local slum in a city. Uh, It works incredibly well. From a partnership standpoint, that, of course, raises a big question. When you're doing so much that's kind of the the grassroots operation then, it always raises questions about, well, what of accountability? If I'm partnering, for example, with Mission India, how do I know that the dollars are actually going to make a difference? What kind of accountability is built in or a system of checks and balances? Yeah, we've been doing this uh, for quite a while, and our accountability reporting 
is the number one value for our staff and our partners in India. In fact, uh, one of the first things we teach to workers and their supervisors is to hold each other accountable, not only for the activity of the workers, but also for the objectives. So we know exactly how many people are enrolled in literacy. We know that last year 86% of them graduated and were able to pass that fifth grade exam. Uh, We know exactly what percent of them uh, became uh, Christians. We know exactly what percent their income went up, 56% increase in income last year. Uh, We track these all very carefully, and uh, we have staff all over the country that do this. So it's not just growth, it's sustained growth with the checks and balances so we can see the improvement that's what's happening nationally, not only in terms of the headcount, so to speak, Mm -hmm. Uh, but also in terms, too, of the transformation side of what the ministry is doing. Yeah, we call it SROI. You know what ROI is. Mm-hmm. Every business knows what is so ROI this is. Spiritual this return is on investment. Spiritual return on investment. Like and we define what are your spiritual objectives, and we know what we invest in each uh, place, and we know what the spiritual return was. And it also helps you when you're evaluating your program, trying to improve it. When you're evaluating the partner or the workers that you're training, you have a certain benchmark, a certain standard that you know is reasonable to expect. And and frankly, the Indian leaders of these groups love it. Uh, They discover uh, that their capacity for ministry is even greater than they thought Mm -hmm. when they finish one of our programs. And certainly knowing that they've got the support and that there's a sense of accountability. You know, it's easier to stay on focus and on message if you know that you have somebody, a higher authority, so to speak, to whom you have to report eventually. That's right. And very important, Craig, is that this is not an American-run ministry within India. This is an an Indian-run, national-run. The Indian workers are the ones that set the tactics and the strategies that have designed the programs, and we give them a lot of help, a lot of assistance, but it's theirs. And uh, there's there's no foreign face to this program. Very important in India that this is an, uh, Indi- a program run by Indians for Indians. And at the end of the day, one that is transformational in nature, life-changing in a spiritual standpoint. And a fun, I think, way for people to get introduced to the work of Mission India. Um, on your website, which for the benefit of listeners is missionindia.org, you have something called My Passport to India. Uh, take a moment, just give us a quick snapshot of that, if you would, Dave, because I think it can take listeners on an exciting adventure that are either not too deeply familiar with what's going on in India today, the opportunities and the challenges, but then, too, the dynamic work that's being done with Mission India and your partners in country. Well, yeah, Craig, you you started off by saying India is a high-impact place to visit. You can actually visit India through our website. We have a number of uh, small video segments there that illustrate life in India, as well as the programs of ministry in India. Right now, the, there's a new series called Lost in India. Uh, you can just log right on, and, and the series is designed for children. Uh, specifically, it was designed for uh, homeschool families, but we found that uh, parents uh, everywhere, they love to watch this program with their children. They're little little exercises and to-do things to go with the video series. You watch a series of eight videos, and you get introduced to the country, the culture, the people. Um, There's a lot of humor in the program, and you also get to see what God is doing in a place where the name of Jesus is not known very well. 
The nation, as we said at the very get-go, is a paradox in some ways. There are curiosities at, at so many levels. There's a certain mystique and, I think, allure about India because of the culture, its history, the religions. Uh, and, and into all of that, see the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ step in partnership with the local church. But again, uh, down through the years that Mission India has been working there, how many years now? Well, more than 30 years. More than 30 years. um, Has a demonstrated track record of providing long-term, measurable transformation. Transformation not just at a community level in terms of addressing felt needs, such as the literacy program that we talked about a moment ago, but most importantly from a a mission gospel um, viewpoint, um, spiritual transformation. If you'd like to get more information about the work and ministry of Mission India, again, I'll point you to the website, missionindia.org. That's missionindia.org. And if you'd like to be able to literally travel to India without the hassle of airports and customs and all of that, and without even having to buy an airplane ticket, then my passport to India might be a great way to see an incredible India that you've never imagined on the web at My Passport to India, on the website at missionindia.org. Dave Stravers, thanks for dropping by and giving us an update. Thanks, Craig. It's great talking with you. Dave Stravers, president of Mission India. Again, details on the web at missionindia.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Parents struggle with several sets of questions when the kids reach that inquisitive age. Uh, Certainly, I think most parents shudder at the notion of having to have the talk. You know the one I'm referring to, the birds and the bees talk. And um, largely feel that they are um, wholly unprepared to answer many of the questions that the kiddies will offer up. And of course, it becomes challenging and problematic. We can't rely on the public school system to provide our kids with sex education. And um, and if they learn it from their peers, uh, it's going to form some very unhealthy relationships and very um, unhealthy lifestyles, potentially. Along with that, I think for Christian parents, there also can be that equal sense of being wholly unprepared to answer many of the questions that our kids pose as they are exploring the claims of Christ and their faith. It is more than just simply saying, because the Bible said so, and, you know, sort of taking the God said it, I believe it, that settles it approach. Um, The kids want real answers to have a real faith. God has no stepchildren. We understand that. But how can you be best prepared to answer some of the toughest questions that your kids may pose regarding their faith and Christianity. Well, Dr. Alex McFarland joins us. He is the author of a number of best-selling books and a variety of topics. He also serves as a radio talk show host. He is director of Christian Worldview and Apologetics at North Greenville University in Greenville, South Carolina. And in addition to all of the wonderful books that he has written, the latest one is one that you will want to have handy on your top shelf. It's called simply, 21 Toughest Questions Your Kids Will Ask About Christianity. And Dr. McFarland, always a delight and an education to have you join us. Well, thank you so much, Craig. It really is a thrill to be on with you. I'm deeply grateful. Is this a parallel that I draw between uh, sometimes the awkwardness that parents feel in answering questions regarding sexuality, the birds and the bees, equally up there with questions regarding faith? I mean, when when your kid comes to you straight-faced and says, 
Daddy or Mommy, why does God allow suffering? Boy, you know, we, we tend to kind of come with the platitudes, but we don't always have the strong theological response that the kids really need, do we? Yeah, I think that's a great parallel that you draw. Um, moms and dads get nervous about having the talk, you know, regarding sexuality, and I think they procrastinate and, and sometimes push away opportunities to talk about deep spiritual matters as well. And, you know, for a lot of reasons, not only culturally but scripturally, uh, moms and dads need to be able to help their kids process the, the questions about God and Christianity and spiritual growth that uh, are natural, that, that kids will ask. You know, we're, we're inquisitive creatures, and we're spiritually inquisitive as well. And sometimes mom and dad uh, avoid those types of questions, or they'll, they'll reprimand their kids and say, you know, you shouldn't ask things like that, uh, maybe because they themselves don't really know a good, solid answer. So the book is designed to equip moms and dads. It's a fun book. I mean, there's, there's questions kids ask me that were funny, poignant, touching, probing. Uh, and so there are many questions from interviews that we did with about 111 children. I'm curious if there is a degree to this in which parents are sometimes awkward or reluctant um, or feel chagrined at answering questions because their own base knowledge is a bit lacking. And I pose that question because there are parents that I know that have, on the topic of the birds and the bees, kind of taken the, you know... With sexuality, as complicated as it is these days, I don't know. I was raised in the 50s. Things have changed so much. I'm just maybe more content to allow the kids, their smart kids, to go out and explore and find the answers on their own. Is that approach dangerous, particularly when it comes to spiritual matters? Well, it is, Craig, because for one thing, it's communicating a message to your children that these things just really aren't that important. I mean, you know, if, if they really were that significant, you know, mom and dad would have taken the time to carve out an answer or to, you know, get a handle on, on a good perspective. But, um, you know, really Christianity uh, is a, it's a faith system that has good answers to the questions. Uh, we have good evidence for the claims of Christ. But Christianity is a, a, a relationship-driven system. Uh, faith, uh, not only our relationship with the Lord Jesus, but um, passing it on, evangelism and discipleship and the spiritual mentoring of children. It's, it's, I guess, for lack of a better word, I would call it life-on-life transference. And who better to inform the spiritual perspective of children, who better to do that than mom and dad? But, you know, the old thing, you can't give away what you don't have, uh, if there's going to be transference and life-on-life, you know, discipleship, mom and dad have to have a, a robust faith of their own. And so we talk about that in the book, that, um, you know, the opportunity to answer your kids' questions, you know, might be really a, a reminder to drill down deeply uh, in your own life, mom and dad. And and obviously, you know, sometimes the inclination toward um, being dismissive, um, minimizing the importance of what might seemingly be a benign question to you that, in fact, is a deep-searching, probative question for a young person who 
yes, maybe raised in church and you had a family altar in the evenings, you know, uh, many families that will spend uh, moments in the Bible every night together, things of this sort, particularly when the kids are younger. And you thought you've done everything that you can do to help establish a firm foundation in their faith. And in fact, they've just been kind of going through the paces or the motions and are now beginning to ask the tough questions that at some point in life all of us ask of what God, who God, where God, why God, uh, what of sin, what of salvation, what of my relationship to God, who is Jesus Christ, things of this sort. Our children deserve these answers because God, as we say, has no stepchildren, and they will not, uh, uh, these kids cannot uh, vicariously live out their relationship of, uh, with Christ through you. So how can we be best prepared to answer some of the toughest questions that your kids may ask regarding Christianity? Dr. Alex McFarland is with us tonight to help illuminate on all these matters. We'll come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues here on KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Ah, yes, indeed. And back to the conversation tonight. Dr. Alex McFarland is with us. You know him as the author of a number of New York Times best-selling books, including 10 Answers for Skeptics, uh, Core Truths You Must Know for an Unshakable Faith, uh, 10 Common Questions or Objections, rather, to Christianity, and now his latest book, The 21 Toughest Questions Your Kids Will Ask About Christianity. Let's get to your calls. We're going to lead off first for Dr. McFarland in Sonoma. Aaron, come on in with your comment or question for Dr. Alex McFarland. Hi there. Certainly, I've been a parent for seven years now. We've got little ones, and our faith, my husband and I, has really you know strengthened and solidified in so many ways, and we're just on our own journey, and with our kids, it's a beautiful thing, and I, I feel really blessed and, and really grateful, but the most challenging part of parenthood for me that I would love to hear your perspective on is not so much the interaction that I have with my kids, because I feel like we're learning and growing together every day, but... My my uh, husband and I growing up in Christian households have parents that look at us in a way that and, and expect us to behave in a way and teach our children in the same way that they have taught us, and we're not the same people. And so with our family and with other folks, it's just the most challenging part of are you talking about in the sense of what, like certain traditions or just um, uh, parent- parenting styles? Overall, you know, like when I was pregnant with my second child, my mom asked me, you know, do you really believe? And, you know, they sort of think like if I don't express it in the same way, then it must not be correct. Or, you know what I mean? Like I might not be passing it on. And, and my father-in-law said, you know, we're really the godparents for children. Um as if we can't do it ourselves. (laughs) Or, I mean, of course, everybody, it takes a village for sure, but, you know, these things that are passed on, I think it's important to realize that as much as we have the common um, faith and common denominators, we're all on our own journey and path, and we sort of have to respect how we're doing this, you know, and being really careful that our children will come up in their time, but we do have to leave them, and we can't let go, and we have to guide them, you know, at least until they're 18. But I'm sure it goes on and on and on, you know. That's the, 
Oh yeah, ask, ask any parent with kids in their forties and fifties, and they'll and they'll tell you that. So, all right, uh, let's uh, let's turn to Doctor McFarland for a response. Uh, Alex, this of course is a predicament. Oftentimes, uh, parents may have a certain parenting style or a manner in which they feel the spiritual legacy should be uh, passed on, and all of a sudden they see their own kids with kids of their own, and maybe they're not insisting that they be involved in uh, Royal Rangers or whatever the case might be. Talk a bit about that, if you would. Well, you you know, um, salvation is the same for all people in that we put our faith in the Lord Jesus, but Christian growth is kind of different for for all people. You know, what um, is a catalyst in the Christian growth of one person? Um, God might use something different to spiritually mature another person. And so I want to say a big word of encouragement to the caller and to all moms and dads that, um, you know, uh, there, there will be no shortage of people to give advice or even to be sometimes critical, but don't let that discourage you, and don't let that uh, make you second-guess yourself just by virtue of being mom and dad. Uh, just genetically, you've got home court advantage, and nobody can... Nobody can influence the spiritual direction of a child like the parent. Um, it, you know, it's very poignant in um, uh, Deuteronomy 6 and Exodus 13, where the Word of God um, says, you know, when it comes to pass that your son will ask you, why do we do these things? Then you will say, when Pharaoh would not let us go, God with a strong hand brought us out. And, and it kind of the implication is that your children will look to mom and dad and say, hey, I I want what you've got. So I would say um, be in the Word, be in prayer. Uh, You make sure that you're walking with Jesus, and then let the Holy Spirit do the driving. And over time and through circumstances and just consistent, authentic Christian living, uh, God will will, um, steer you in the way that you can best be the Christian parent that your children need. Is it a difference, Alex, between sort of um, forcing our children into the Christian mold versus modeling our own faith? You know, the do as I do versus do as I don't, uh, you know, don't do as I do, do as I say kind of scenario. Uh, it's very much modeling, I think, that that is the, the winning uh, approach. My friend Josh McDowell uh, who I'll be with him Thursday and Friday in Texas, actually. But Josh says, you know, rules without relationship breeds rebellion. Mm-hmm. And and just a list of do's and don'ts. Uh, while it's important to have standards, but just a list of, of do's and don'ts uh, won't cut it. I, I think legalism has created more skeptics and atheists than all the uh, naturalistic philosophy. Well, and I think we all know cases. I certainly can cite them from uh, my uh, my sphere of, uh, of acquaintances where parents on some occasion would insist that the child go to Sunday school and things of this sort. They themselves, however, not fully participate. And then when the child is, uh, you know, of age, 18, moves out of the house and suddenly, you know, um, uh, dumps church and never wants to go back, wonders, well, what happened? You know, it's got to be, like you say, modeled so that the old saying, more is caught than taught. Now, there does need to be some good intellectual content. Uh, There needs to be substantive answers to the questions, and that's what we do in the book. We try to give good answers, uh, age-appropriate answers, because in in the 111 children I interviewed, we we would notice that the questions of a 5-, 6-, 7-year-old 
uh, were different than the questions of a 10, 11-year-old, a 12-year-old, a pre, pre-adolescent. So it's a combination of both. But even, um, let, me, let me say mom and dad, you don't, don't feel like, um, gee, I, I'd better be a, a theologian, um, you know, to be able to speak into the lives of my children. Oftentimes, just the, the, the visual that mom and dad love Jesus, that they're walking with the Lord, and uh, there, is, there is a good answer to all the questions, even if, if I don't know what it is, um, the, there's, there's just a trust that seems to be bred in the heart of a child when they see mom and dad consistently, authentically living out their faith. And then there'll come time when you can have the the conversations like we talked about, the spiritual coming-of-age conversations. But, um, you know, I would say mom and dad, one of the most potent apologetics that you can set forth before the watching eyes of your kids is your own authentic committed walk with Jesus Christ every single day. This is sort of the uh, the Pauline follow me as I follow Christ approach? Absolutely. Dr. Alex McFarland with us tonight. He, Director of Christian Worldview and Apologetics at North Greenville University in Greenville, South Carolina. He is also the host of Explore the Word radio program, nationally syndicated. Um, he has traveled and spoken to over a thousand churches during his apologetics career and um, written a number of best-selling books. No doubt this one destined to be the next bestseller. 21 toughest questions your kids will ask about Christianity. We'll come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Best-selling author Dr. Alex McFarland, his new book, 21 Toughest Questions Your Kids Will Ask About Christianity. By the way, the book available through the usual suspects, meaning uh, Bay Area bookstores. I think there's one or two of those that still exist. Amazon.com and also through uh, Dr. McFarland's website, 21toughestquestions.com. And that's spelled out, I mean uh, enumerated, 2121toughestquestions.com. Do some parents in your experience, Dr. McFarland, feel threatened when their kids start to approach them, particularly as a child gets to be of age, you know, uh, early teens, things of that sort? And here you've been dutiful in terms of taking the kids to school, to Sunday school and church, and you really thought you've done everything right, and you feel firm that your child has a strong uh, faith experience, and then they come start asking these very fundamental questions. Do parents sometimes get defensive on that? Uh, yeah, they do. And and let me say this: uh, I'm not, you know, bashing mom and dad or being critical. But not only do moms and dads sometimes get defensive, but sometimes they just make excuses. And you know, in doing all these interviews, um, periodically I would hear moms and dads say. You know, oh my goodness! You know, I'm not a theologian. I, you know, I've never been to seminary. I'm I'm just a mom and a dad. And you know, let me say this: to shape the spiritual lives of your kids, you don't have to be a theologian. But before God and uh, in the sight of of the Lord and the Church, um, in the home, uh, parents are called to be the spiritual drivers of the family. Really. And so uh, I, I challenge moms and dads in the book, you know, avoid the deer in the headlights look. 
you know, when, you're, when your children ask things like, you know, did the baby Jesus wear diapers? Or if God made everything, who made God? Uh, and how does God hear the prayers of all the people in the world at once? You know, things like that. One little boy asked the question, uh, you know, my pastor says Jesus and Satan are fighting. What are they fighting with, lasers? You, you know, um, you know use, use these, these wonderful opportunities to show that uh, the, the questions have answers. Um, but let me say this. Oftentimes, I think in, in recent decades of Christianity, there's the assumption that uh, I pray the sinner's prayer, Lord, come into my life and save me. Amen. And that's it. And I wait around five more decades, and someday I'll die. Um, and just getting saved is the end of the equation. Um, there's also the um, kind of the, the assumption, you know, if, I, if my child goes to youth group or Sunday school, check that box off. Uh, the duty is done, and that's the end of my job. And it, it's, it's so much more than that. And what a, what a wonderful opportunity it is. But, you know, Second uh, Peter 1.16 says, We have not followed cleverly devised fables. Um, the gospel is not faith alone. It is faith, but it's a faith validated by compelling lines of evidence. So it, it's not just that we're going to resolve to believe a myth in spite of the evidence. No, we, we can defend our faith because of the great evidence. And so mom and dad uh, embrace this wonderful calling, this wonderful opportunity, because in you know, prepping to build spiritual champions out of your children, uh, you yourself will probably grow and mature and your love of Jesus uh, and your confidence in him will, will, will grow as well. In that sense, then, is it better when a child presents a theological question that we may not feel fully comfortable in asking, especially if they, you know, come into something that's, that's fairly deep and we feel like we're just ill-equipped? Is it better to say, I don't know, than to lie or to, uh, you know, try and make something up? Oh, yeah. I mean, don't snow job a child. They'll see it from a mile away. And, and certainly don't uh, just make up a lie, because they'll be on the Internet, and they'll, they'll find out the truth. You know, um, know this, that, that we live in a time of so much information that if you don't uh, proactively give the answers and chart the course, uh, your kids will find a spiritual roadmap somewhere, and it might not be the right one. And so um, it's perfectly fine. In fact, it's really healthy sometimes when the parent says, hey, that's a, that's a great question. You know, uh, give me a couple of days, and together let's, let's work through this together. But, um, you know, there is mystery. Even uh, the deepest Christian, I mean, think of, you know, think of somebody like a Billy Graham or, or a David Jeremiah or the great Christian leaders that we look up to, uh, there's still things that they are learning, and there's still mystery. Um, there's so much we do know, and then there are things that uh, this side of heaven will never know. And so uh, let, let your sons and daughters know that uh, Christianity is, is concrete, but it's abstract. I mean, we know Jesus died and rose again. Uh, there's an empty tomb. He literally was nailed to a cross to pay for our sins, 
So there, there's much about the faith that is concrete and, uh, and provable and documentable. But then there, then there are things like, um, you know, when will Jesus come back? We, we just don't know. Um, why does a good, godly, faithful Christian family suffer the loss of a loved one? Um, why can a faithful Christian get laid off of their job? Uh, you know, we don't know all the answers, but we know God is faithful. You know, C.S. Lewis, Craig, C.S. Lewis said um, regarding the death of his own wife, and here's a guy that had given much of his adult life to defending the faith, and he lost his wife. His wife passed away, and Lewis uh, wrote, uh, God, I know now why you utter no answer. You yourself are the answer. Before your face, questions flee away. And so it's okay for a mom and dad to say, you know what, son, I don't really know, but I'll try to find out. But there, there are hard, concrete facts, and then there are, there, there are areas of mystery where we have to trust God. And then, too, aren't we, don't we need to be sensitive in terms of the degree of maturity of the child, both from a spiritual standpoint and an age standpoint? I mean, that, that whole milk-to-meat thing. I mean, I have seen some parents who, for example, are big fans in the study of eschatology and uh, dispensationalism. They've got down pat. Uh, explaining to a child uh, sin, death, judgment, damnation, sin, salvation, sanctification. The child knows nothing of that, but mom or dad drags the kids off to every single conference on eschatology they can get their hands on. That's true. Uh, That's true. And you know what? Uh, Steak is a wonderful thing, but if you cram it down the throat of an infant, uh, it probably will choke. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, I've got to say this um, from preaching in 1,400 churches and being president of a seminary. Uh, I love the body of Christ, and I love believers of all strata, but um, there are believers that um, are, you know, straight as an arrow theologically, but uh, as empty as, as, as a bank vault uh, as far as their heart and their joy. And like so much of, of the Christian life, um, there, there's got to be a balance. There's, there's um, learning and knowledge and content and data, but then there's, there's trust and waiting on God. And, uh, you know, we don't want to make the Bible say less than what it says, but we don't want to make the Bible say more than what it says. Um, and that, that balance of having standards but not being legalistic, um, knowing that we're free in Christ, but that doesn't mean that we're free to go and, and sin uh, with no restraint. And so, um, you know, I was in Colorado, Craig, speaking at a men's retreat and doing some of this content while the book was in process about a year and a half ago, because I spent over two years on this one book. And, uh, you know, I was talking about being a godly man and a husband and a father, and uh, uh, during the break a man came up and he said, you know, Alex, I hear you, this is great, you know, but, I mean, the kind of disciple you're talking about to love Jesus and love the family and First Peter, you know, lay down your life for your spouse and, you know, the kind of Christian you're talking about, I mean, that would be like, like every day, 24-7. And I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah <laughs> I think that's what God calls us to, to uh, give him 100%. And so uh, more than ever in this culture, in this milieu, 
that's what we Christians are called to do, to give Jesus our all, and it will bear fruit in the lives of the next generation, our kids uh, who follow after us. And certainly in the process of giving all to Christ and training up a child in the way that he should go, uh, wonderful insights inside the pages of this new book. 21 Toughest Questions Your Kids Will Ask About Christianity. And not only can be a great primer for mom and dad uh, when the questions arise, but also take you deeper, foundationally speaking, into your own faith. The book, again, is available at um, 21toughestquestions.com. That's the number 21toughestquestions.com or, of course, amazon.com. And as always, our thanks and appreciation for his time in the insights, Dr. Alex McFarland, Christian Worldview and Apologetics Director at North Greenville University in Greenville, South Carolina. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.